Welcome to the Shanna Plan. This is episode 86, episode River Craycraft. Enjoy your time with Mike McDaniel. This is your time to shine, River. My name is Kyle Posey. I am joined, as always, by Akash. Akash, how was your weekend? It's fantastic, KP. Uh, you know, football season, it may be the off season, but it's Masters weekend. And you know, you and I, we bet on golf a decent amount, so we're excited to play some bets for the tournament at Augusta. So that's the primary focus. But you know, there's there's draft draft stocks to draft talk still in the background. Yeah, it was a it's a fun sports week, man. So we had the national championship. I watched that at a KU bar, which is cool. Um, WrestleMania. I went to WrestleMania this past. Did you really? Week and uh, was probably like three feet away from Kittle. I was who, gonna say. I don't think he noticed anybody around him. He was so in it, uh, which was cool to see. Um, so that was an experience. I would say, you know, you don't have to be like a wrestling fan. I'm not necessarily, you know, a diehard wrestling fan, but it was it was a cool experience. I think everybody should do that. So, uh, yeah, fun week. And then Masters coming up. But we do have the NFL draft, and that is a huge story, obviously. Uh, the 49ers don't have a first-round pick, so we are moving slow, dragging our feet in that regard. But um, number 61 will come fast, and that's for sure. And who knows? They could package up picks. But first things first. Let's talk about why, or no, let's talk about Frank Gore because he, uh, Brad Graham, shout out to him getting the scoop, um, SF Niners. So Gore was on his podcast, I believe, uh, Brad's podcast, and he said that, you know, he's going to retire, hang it up as a 49er. But I think the real news was the Athletics Matt Barrows broke this, uh, that Frank Gore is going to have a role in the 49ers front office. I wonder what that's going to be. I wonder if eventually... You know, Gore just, he wants to be on the field. Like, he doesn't want to be, I guess, hands-off is the best way to put it. And he wants to be a position coach. So, uh, when you're around the game for as long as a lot of these guys are, and in Gore's case, 57 years, you are going to, like, this is all you know. So, you want to be around football. You want to be around the coaches. You want to be around the players. And you want to, you know, show them what you learn, pass on your knowledge. So, uh, it just seems like Gore is a guy who's, you know, made for this. So it's it's going to be an easy transition no matter what he does. But what do you think his role is going to look like with the 49ers? I actually think he's going to be less of a coach and more of a front office personnel, uh, player, you know, coach, intermediary, that type role. Uh, the 49ers already have a former player in Keena Turner in the front office who kind of has that type role. And I can see Frank Gore filling, you know, uh, that type void. 49ers love having former players in the around the organization, in the building, around their players. And, you know, who better than Frank Gore? So I, I think it'd be great to have him uh, back with the team in some type of capacity. Uh, I imagine, you know, like you said, he loves football so much that he's finding any type of way to be around the game. And this is kind of his way of giving back. And I think the 49ers front office, especially as John Lynch, going to find him some type of role. But I don't think it's more of an on-field coach. I think something more in the front office. Scouting, maybe. Uh, player development. Something along those lines, I'd imagine. Just imagine somebody telling Frank Gore, no, you don't know what you're looking at when it comes to running backs. Like, let's say it, it was a hypothetical practice scenario. 
and Gore is telling Elijah Mitchell to be more patient. He could just lean on like all of his experiences ever. Why don't you just do what I did here? Why don't you just do what I did here? And he's probably going to be right in almost every instance. So uh, no, or, that would be interesting. Or imagine being like the West Coast scout and being like, this is the running back they should take. And Frank Gore is like, nah, I actually like this guy. Yeah. Because of X, Y, and cool. Z. And so, uh, yeah, it's always cool to have a former player in the building from that type of perspective. And again, who better to have than one of the greats at the position? When you look up and down the coaching staff, the, the roster, they're all former players. Uh, they just reported that they met with a couple of wide receivers in the draft. And it wasn't Shanahan. It wasn't a West Coast guy. It was the wide receiver coach, Leonard Hankerson, who is a former NFL player. Uh, Wes Welker was a previous wide receiver coach. Obviously, their defensive coordinator, Tamiko Ryans, was, I believe, the rookie of the defensive rookie of the year when he played. So, uh, yeah, having firsthand experience at the highest level is going to help. Breaking news. Okay. So I imagine, you know, the further we get, the closer we get to the season, the more we'll know about what Gore's potential role will be. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Stefan Diggs signed a big deal on Wednesday morning. So um, Diggs, four years, $104 million extension, includes $70 million guaranteed. So he's going to make about $24 million per season. That is probably going to look a lot like what Debo Samuel's contract looks like, extension, once we get there. Um, again, it's probably not going to happen until July, I imagine, a couple weeks before we get to training camp. But I think that's, that's going to look a lot like the groundwork, what we saw with um, uh, or what we will see with Debo. So the age, Diggs is 28, Debo's 26. The one concern that I would have, or I guess it's not really a concern, the biggest thing that I'm interested in when talking about Debo's potential contract is how much will his first two seasons be held against him? Will the 49, when I say this, I want to make it clear that you don't just do what Debo did and call it an outlier season. You don't fake that type of production. With that said, how much of that will be viewed as, all right, we want to see you do it again. So we know he's going to have a giant signing bonus. Like, there's no doubt about that. We know he's going to probably get in the ballpark between 55 and 65 million. And yes, that's a wide range, but we just don't know where it's going to be. I would guess it falls somewhere between that. But still, I just want to know, you know, what type of money is he going to get? What the contract looks like? Uh, what, what do you think we're looking at here? In Stefan Diggs's case, you get paid for past production. And look at Stefan Diggs' career cash numbers. 52, 84, 64, 102, 63, 127, and 103. He's had back-to-back 100-catch seasons with Buffalo. He's had back-to-back seasons of 1,500 yards, then 1,200 yards. He's had 18 touchdowns combined the last two seasons. Of course he deserves that extension at 28 years old. He's what? He's Let me see. He's missed two games in the last two seasons. Um, so with Debo Samuel, I think you hit the nail on the head. The fact that he has one season, one really, really good season and two, you know, um, 2019 was good. 2020, not so much. You know, I I think the 49ers are going to hold that against him in negotiations. They're going to say, you know, look at what Stefan Diggs got, you know, look at these recent wide receiver contracts. These players have produced for longer, right? They've been more consistent. They've been healthy. They've been on the field and, you know, off of one season, we can't afford to pay you that much. Um, and I think, you know, 
they would be looking at somewhere in like the 20 million, $21 million annual, you know, average salary and would want to keep that total guarantee, I think under $50 million. It would be my like just rough guess uh, based on the situation. I don't think they'd want to give Debo Samuel $70 million guarantee. Like they, like the Bills did with Stephon Diggs. Um, and I think that's probably why this is going to drag on to this you know, till the end of the summer. Yeah. So just to put it in perspective, we mentioned Debo who's played in the NFL for three years, had just a, an unreal season this last season. Diggs, he's been doing it for a while. So he's been in the league one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years. The past four years, he's gone over a thousand yards in 2020. He went over 1500 yards and this last year, it seemed like it was sort of a down year, which is weird to say when you have over 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns, but that's just the type of player he is. So he's legitimately one of the top five. Like when you're making a list, everybody would put digs in there. You weren't getting um, Debo before this breakout season. And obviously, again, for good reason, he's still young. And to put him in that, you know, that group of receivers that like the Devontae's, like the Tyreeks, who also uh, were handsomely paid this past offseason, um, it's – it's not fair to put Debo in there, but again, when you put up the numbers that he just did, now that's his competition. And now that's who's going to be compared to. So uh, the, the argument will go for both ways. And, and I am fascinated to see where this number ends up. Let's turn the page and talk a little draft. So what do you think the biggest mistake for the 49ers would be? And, and that could be trading up in the third round for a running back like they did last year. Um, that could just be trading. Sometimes trading down doesn't work out. And, and, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of examples in the NFL that, but naturally when you trade down, you just give yourself more of a chance. You give yourself more of an option to draft good players because you have more opportunities to draft good players by trading up, you narrow it down. And I think the saints are a good example of this. I, I feel like their general manager has traded up 11 times in the past 12 years. And they're always in cap hell. You mean some of the players that they have traded up for, it just doesn't work out. So you're limiting yourself when you do that. But also the Chiefs traded up for Patrick Mahomes. Um, there are plenty of examples when you trade up and they are a superstar and look how that shapes out for the rest of your team. So, And it doesn't have to be necessarily a trade. It could be skipping out on a position. It could be doubling down on a position where you don't give, let's say, for example, the 49ers select a guard at number 61. And that now... All we heard this offseason about Aaron, or not, not so much Aaron Banks because he's probably going to play, um, the potential of Jalen Moore, that was just lip service because you, you're telling us you believe in him, but you draft a guard right away out of the gate. That tells us you don't really believe in him. Um, it could be another line, lane where, let's say they draft an edge rusher, and now Samson Ebicom doesn't have another season to develop, and now he's relegated to backup duty. So there are plenty of ways to, to spin this. What do you think the 49ers' biggest mistake in the draft would be? It would be to not double down and draft offensive and defensive linemen. You know, I, I told you this before we hit record. I think that's where the first two picks are going. And it's they're not the most interesting picks. I feel like fans especially love receivers, corners, uh, safeties, you know. The things that play, we know. Exactly. The playmakers on the outside. They love sweet skill position dudes, running backs, right? The most boring pick is usually an offensive or defensive lineman because usually they don't have highlights or, 
you know, the tape isn't as interesting or it's, you know, hard to sift through. But at the same time, I feel like building depth on both lines is honestly what wins your football games late in the season. And especially with the 49ers interior offensive line struggles this past season um, and what's happened this offseason with Lakin Tomlinson walking, Alex Mack, who potentially may, may or may not come back, who knows, Daniel Brunskill just kind of being a stopgap at right, right guard. I feel like just finding someone that can stabilize one of those positions um, would be a good use of resources. And on the flip side, same thing, right? Edge rusher opposite Nick Bosa. I get Samson Mebukam, uh would fit that role, but just adding another young guy. Ebukam's in the last year of his contract. It would make sense to draft somebody uh, and develop at that position under Chris Kasarik rather than just continuing to go the bargain men route. So I, I would, you know, I would say it's a mistake if they don't double down and beef up uh, the trenches. Yeah, and again, that's that's been their philosophy under John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, and they really haven't strayed from that, uh, protecting or, I guess, investing in both lines. And it, it has worked out, especially on the defensive line. Has it worked out on the offensive line? They have Trent Williams, who is an all-star, all-pro, all-everything, but they acquired him, which, again, you, you can't make up, like, you wouldn't be able to tell somebody that they were able to do that. And like, I wouldn't believe you if you told me you traded a third round pick and a fifth round pick for Trent Williams, like, yeah, no shot that happened. So that was a, a circumstance that that's not going to happen again. Uh, Lincoln Tomlinson, they had him under contract for essentially a, an entire contract and they were able to get him for, you know, like a day three pick uh, their early investments, whether it was like we, the door, the doors, you know, we, we have no idea what we're going to get from Aaron Banks and Jalen Moore wasn't a, an early draft pick, but we've seen Daniel Brunskill. We know who he is um, before Alex Mack, the Weston Richburg signing did not work out as well. I would do that a hundred times over again because he was very good when they brought him in and there was a little risk because he was coming off injury and he just never recovered. And that's what you live with in the NFL. You have to take swings and Mike McGlinchey, who fans hate <laughs> and him not playing in 2021 is not going to help because the team did pick up his fifth year option uh, in the previous offseason. So um, they have been aggressive as far as, you know, bringing in guys along the offensive line. I don't know that it's fully worked out. My answer to the question as far as what the biggest mistake would be is just um, you, you have to build around Trey Lance. Like you have to put him in a situation where he does not have a lot on his plate. If that means you have to go get another wide receiver, and that doesn't mean at 61, that could be later in the draft. If that means you have to go get a wide receiver because you're not confident in Jennings giving you more than what he did down the stretch. So everybody remembers what Jennings did against the Rams. That was the very, very peak. And we're always going to remember, you know, what they did at their very best. I don't know if we're going to get that consistently. And we didn't get it in the playoffs. And I don't know if that's to do with you know Jennings, Jimmy, the offense, everybody in general. But I think that they could upgrade it, upgrade Jennings, you know, as for, as far as wide receiver three goes. But I think the goal has to be building around Trey and that does involve getting him offensive lineman. That does involve getting him another pass rusher. Um, but at the same time, you know, getting more help on defense too, you know, so Trey Lance doesn't have to feel like he has to score, you know, a touchdown every time he's on the field. Like that will go a long way as well. But um, I do think they could use some some help on the offense. I, I don't think Jennings 
is the answer, just which doesn't seem fair considering how he finished the season. Like, yes, he made some splash plays. I would just need to see him do it consistently over the course of another year, which he might have a chance, but uh, we shall see. Uh, wh- what do you think about that, just building around Trey? Absolutely. You put your chips in the middle of the table for this 22-year-old kid trading three first-round picks for him last season. Now, building around him makes complete sense. But at the same time, I don't think you want to get caught up in, okay, we have a need at wide receiver that we have to fill. We have a need at running back. We have a need at blah, blah, blah. You know, you and I feel like you just let the board fall to you and you take the best player available because you never know what happens in a year, right? They've done this now with Aaron Banks where they felt he was the best player at that spot. He didn't even have a position to play year one. And potentially now he's, you know, starting at left guard year two. So I think they feel comfortable taking a player that may not immediately contribute, but they believe will contribute down the line. Um, And so I would just continue to go that route um, and just, and continue to go best player available and build around your, your future quarterback. Everybody wants best player available until it's not a position of need. So what if the best player available is a wide receiver? What if the best player available is a tight end? What if the best player available is a San Diego State punter? And then then you, then you trade down and you, you know, acquire some future draft capital. And then you find out what the best player available is the, at the, you know, the next slot. That, that What you said makes sense. It happens all the time. But uh, – Functionally, you would like to acquire um, future draft capital if you are reaching for somebody who's not BPA at the draft spot you're at. So just a year ago, the 49ers were in a similar situation. I imagine they didn't like what they saw at, you know, was it 43 is what they traded down from? Yeah, it was 43. So they moved down five spots with the Raiders and they passed on Asante Samuel, who would feel like, an ideal fit for what the 49ers want their cornerbacks to do. So by trading down, you do run the risk. And yes, you do acquire more picks, but you also run the risk of passing up on, you know, a potential guy who could come in and help. So the, all of these things are something to keep an eye on. People like to point out the fact that they could have had Creed Humphrey. I, I feel like if the 49ers were high on Creed Humphrey, Creed Humphrey, they would have taken him and they also did sign Alex Mack. So that, that feels like cherry picking when it comes to that, which you can do for every pick. But uh, again, just just pointing out all sides here. Let's talk about the dream pick at 61, because I think I feel like names are what we need to start getting people familiar with. Um, the, the holes, offensive line, edge rusher, safety, what order you put those in is probably up to you. And if you want to make an argument for other positions, I'm sure you could, but it feels like those are the three that people seem to be focusing on when we're talking about the 49ers draft. Where would you go? What, first of all, what position, why, and then who are you taking as your potential dream pick at number 61? The hardest part when you're picking at 61 late in the second round is trying to figure out who's going to be there, right? NFL teams have information on positions of need for every other team. They've probably gone through months of internal mock drafts, quote unquote, different situations, in terms of what player is going to be available to us in this range that we can go ahead and draft, right? That's what you prepare for um, come draft night. So us on the outside, you have an idea, but 
not really, especially that late, because mock drafts typically after like the top 15, just it's throwing darts at a board basically. And so I've got two names. They're from the same school. John Lynch and Adam Peters were both out there pro day a couple weeks ago. Both the Penn State guys, the Penn State edge rusher, uh, Arnold Ebukate, I think is how you pronounce his name. And then the safety, Jaquan Brisker. Now, are they going to be available at 61? I don't think so. That may be a trade-up situation. But either of those guys, I feel like, would be a dream second-round pick. They both fill positions of need, both extremely athletic um, in different ways. Uh, Ebukate was a transfer. He was at Temple for three years. He played one, one season at Penn State. I think he had 18 and a half tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks, um, ideal speed rusher off the edge. Brisker, someone that you've watched probably more of than I have, but another player that I think will be available in the second round um, that could is a real playmaker opposite Jimmy Ward uh, and I think would be a good fit on this defense, even though I just said they should probably go ahead and draft offensive or defensive linemen. Love where your head's at. Yes, I'm going safety too. Um, just real quick, you can't go wrong with a Penn State athlete in recent years. Just look at the players that they put into the league. Most of them are successful and right away. So uh, they have quite the tree coming into the NFL. And both of those players you mentioned, um, just high-end athletes. I'm going to go safety just because when I look around the NFL, like I think of the Bills – uh, and how good their defense is, it's because their safeties are in unison, like always. If you watch the 49ers the last couple of seasons, when Ward and Tart are on the field, like they are moving as one. They don't give up big plays. Most of the best defenses in the NFL have two good safeties. And right now, the 49ers have one safety. What are we going to get from Tarverius Moore off an Achilles? Who knows? What are we going to get from Talano Funga in the second year? He's a day three pick, so putting a lot on him, who knows? I, I feel like Hufunga would be better served in like more of that reserve role, third safety, where he's playing 15, 20, 25 snaps as opposed to 60, 65, 70. And then George Odom, who I don't think he started over 15 games in three years. So the 49ers didn't bring Odom in to start. With that said, there is a hole in what Tart did was everything. And I don't think people are aware of that. Ward does a lot. Tart might do more. So they, they asked Tart to play deep, play in the slot, blitz, blitz up the middle, fit the run. Just everything you everything. want from a safety is what you is what you essentially you're looking for at number 61. So that's why I think this is the position that you have to address right away because there's going to be an inevitable drop-off from the 49ers defense. Like they, they keep having these monster years and expecting them to repeat the success that they have. It's just not feasible. It's not possible. It doesn't make much sense. So by helping that, by you know lessening whatever that drop-off is, bringing in a valuable safety would go a long way. My guy, and I, have, I doubt he falls this far, would be George's Lewis sign. Um, I think he's legitimately one of the 15 best players in the NFL draft. And I'm going to do a write-up on him probably for Thursday. And all I can see now is a comment say, there's no way he falls here. But crazier things have happened in the NFL. We see guys fall all the time for whatever reason. It doesn't help that he played for the national championship, uh, national champions, or ran a 4-3. On one of the best defenses ever in college football. Right. So his position might push him down because – 
safeties just don't get drafted early in the NFL. Like Kyle Hamilton's going to go early, but after him, you really don't see safeties drafted. Yeah, the the sweet spot feels like early 40s. So maybe the 49ers fall in love with a guy and they're comfortable trading up into the second round. If sign were to fall into that range, I would have no problem drafting him. So he is, as I said, 4-3 fast. If And I, I brought up the Bills for a reason because when I was watching him, he reminds me of Jordan Poyer. And when you think of Jordan Poyer, you're going to think of what, what you're comparing a rookie to an all-pro player. Well, Poyer has been this good for a long time. He just got the recognition of an all-pro this past season. The reason I bring that up is – when I think of when I watch Poyer, I see a guy who he's just always one step ahead. He knows what's coming. And Sign is the exact same player. He can cover in the slot. He can cover outside. He can run. He can tackle. He is aggressive. And above all, he's instinctive. And he has he possesses the type of instincts that you have to have to excel at safety. So that would be my dream pick. If the 49ers draft Sign, uh, hopefully he wore 16 in at Georgia. Give him 16 in the pros, baby. Let's do it um that yeah i'm a big fan of his and i'm not saying he's better than hamilton i don't think that's fair to say but i would i don't think that's the right conversation either i think you should you get people should be comparing him to the rest of the draft class and not just one person so my guy is signed and cross your fingers hope that he falls hope that he falls into a range where the 49ers feel comfortable trading up to get him Um, he's an impact player and i feel like he will be one of the 10 best safeties very very soon so that's where I'm going. Um, I think that, that'll do it for us, man. We, we hit Gore. Uh, hey, Gore, if you're watching this, tell John Lynch to trade up for a safety and draft sign. Um, co-sign, because he's not going to say no to you. Um, that's probably another thing. Like, who's going to say no to Frank Gore? Uh, what are you going to do? Like You talked about the West Coast scout. Um, he's going to take precedence over a West Coast scout. I think we can all go, go on a limb and say that that's the case. Uh, all right, let's get out of here. Um, Masters winner, who do you got? Masters winner, I'm going to go Brooks Kepka, my guy. Uh, was I think he was tied second two years ago, the year Tiger won it, I believe. Um, and then last last year he was hurt. Uh, he came back, but I think he didn't make the cut. So Kepka always in majors, fantastic in these big tournaments. Uh, I'm taking Brooks. Who you got? Love it. I'm on Brooks 20 to 1, man. I feel like. Uh, the last year or so is playing into our favor just by getting better odds. And people forget that like, he's eh, he's pretty freaking good at what he does. Uh, and then long shots, uh, as I said before, we're going Fitzpatrick, Neiman, Henley, and Kim. So I'm on all four of those. Top 10 outright winners. Hopefully next Wednesday we are talking about cashing those guys out. Uh, Akash, what, do you, what are you looking forward to working on? Anything NFL-wise? Uh, biggest thing is now just turning the page of the draft. It's finally trying to get familiar with some of these prospects. It's a little bit harder, right? Because now you're looking at second, third round prospects, but just familiarizing yourself with some of the edge rushers, some of the interior offensive linemen. Uh, Cole Strange seems to be a name that consistently is thrown out. So just trying to, uh, you know, uh, learn more about these guys and try to educate some of the fans on some prospects that the 49ers may take. Yeah, that's the goal here is just to get our listeners just more familiar with a lot of the names here. And the 49ers, they have double-digit picks, man. There's a good chance that some of the names we do drop, they will draft. So uh, keep it locked in. Please rate, subscribe, review, leave us five stars wherever it is that you listen and get your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, KP underscore show. I'm going to try to ramp up this draft coverage. Uh, Kosh, how about yourself? Where can we follow you? 
You can find me at A-K-S-H-A-N-A-V. We got three weeks to go for the draft, uh, a little over. And so stick with us. Niners Nation Podcast Network, Niners Nation YouTube channel. Subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate you and go Niners.